Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. Ready to start talking to your kids about financial literacy? Meet Greenlight, the debit card and money app that teaches kids and teens how to earn, save, spend wisely, and invest with your guardrails in place. Parents can send instant money transfers, automate allowance, and more. Plus, keep an eye on spending with real-time notifications. Join more than 6 million families building healthy financial habits together on Greenlight. Get your first month free at greenlight.com slash odyssey. That's greenlight.com slash odyssey. A note of warning. This podcast explores graphic and disturbing stories and includes strong language. It therefore may not be suitable for our young listeners or other folks who may find it disturbing. Hello and welcome to True Crime Daily, the podcast, bringing you high profile and under the radar cases from across the country every week. I'm Billy Jensen and this is Owen Michael. Hello. And our guest this week is Amaryllis Fox, a former CIA clandestine service officer and real life undercover secret agent. So cool. Hi. Hi. How are you doing? Good. No longer. No longer, though. (laughs) Yes. So, and you're also a writer. You have a book called Life Undercover, and you're a coder, which is awesome, a peace activist, and an entrepreneur. Most people don't meet too many former international spies, as far as they know. There might be some in this building, and we have no idea. More than you think. We've worked with each other for three or four years. I still am unsure about you. Well, uh, you never asked me directly, and I so that's true. Uh, you know, is that what it's like? <laughs> I don't think that's a rule. I'm buying I weed from you. I have to ask you <laughs> exactly. <laughs> buying weed. <laughs> Same thing. I mean, it was really a slippery slope. Weed is completely legal in LA. Yeah, <laughs> it was a different time. So we have some questions. So, uh, so it started with an algorithm in college. What was that about? That was about trying to understand what the hell was going on. It was right after 9/11. I when I was a kid. The first person I knew who died was my really dear friend, Laura, in third grade. And she was on the flight that went down over Lockerbie, Scotland mm. oh, yeah. uh, with her sister, her parents. Uh, their whole family died. So Was that Pan Am 103? Yeah. yeah. And it was a few days before Christmas. My parents waited until after Christmas to tell me. But it was the first real loss of my life. And it was it was caused by terrorism. And my dad at the time said, you're going to be overwhelmed by these forces unless you understand them. And he introduced me to the newspaper. And that was like completely electric for me. You know, I really began reading it and following it so closely because I kind of had this sense that, you know, these characters seemed really remote, but they might jump off the page and steal my friends from the sky at any mm-hmm. given moment. So it sort of yes, yeah. had this this um, outweighed importance in my childhood. And then when 9-11 happened, I was going into my last year at university in England and I was home back in DC, went and and picked up my little sisters who were evacuated from the cathedral school because they thought the cathedral might be a target. 
and I, I'm looking at these two little girls in their school uniforms and the radio saying we're at war and I'm remembering my friend who died at just about the same age and all of that kind of fear came back and I remembered my dad's advice you've got to understand it or it's going to overwhelm you and so the algo really came out of looking at historical data to try to find correlations that might not seem immediately apparent, but would be able to explain or at least predict where terrorism might crop up. Things like um, the ratio of hookah bars to madrasas and the rate of change of that ratio. So basically showing how fast an area was becoming more conservative or more liberal and how how jarring that transition was to people or the percentage beneath livable wage that a border guard gets paid. So the kind of the the ability to bribe people and move across borders. Oh, wow. And yeah. it turned out that when you looked at the data, you could weigh each of those differently and string them together and and get these rankings of areas that you should be. So you're basically about. So looking at. You're, you're ranking these hotspots then, and then they're yeah. and they're probably on a scale where it's like this one. This one has just jumped up considerably. There might be something going on there, whereas one has just kind of grown slightly. We have to keep a look on it, but we really got to look at this one. That's exactly right, and it's useful to be able to know where to look. But it's also useful in thinking about whether actually, if bribery at borders is such a contributing factor. And it happens because border guards are paid so little. They're almost like waitresses are paid to it because they're expected to get tips to supplement their income. Mm, right. In many of these countries, the border guards salaries are set because they're expected to get tips to supplement their income. And that opens up the ability for anyone to cross a border as long as they can grease the skids. It's a lot cheaper and easier to fix that problem than to wait sure. until the terror cell develops sure. and go in with a military mm-hmm. incursion. So it, 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 the the aim was to be able to to nip these things in the bud before they got started. So as far as, you know, the old school spies and the trench coats versus the technology, how much did you do uh, with the technology versus sort of going undercover? Well, my, I was kind of the last generation of cold warriors, really. I mean, I joined after 9-11, but my teachers had all been Cold War guys. Mm-hmm. And it was really the last era before facial recognition and biometrics and all of the challenges mm-hmm. that the current day officers face. So the tradecraft now is very different. I mean, a lot of what I write about in the book is seems almost nostalgic now. You know, it's mm-hmm. it's definitely the era. Yeah, it's got some kind charm. Of, you know, yeah, it does it, have it. I mean, it, it would. Dead drops and things like that. And that's right. With the chalk and things like that. Absolutely. And those things are a lot harder to pull off now. But all of that tradecraft, even as it evolves. That's sort of what we see focused on in the movies. But in reality, that's just the kind of protective casing that you have to learn in order to safeguard the real work, which is this very slow, quite soulful building of relationships with sources over months and sometimes years to move them from a place where they're participating in in taking lives to a place where where they are courageous enough and trust you enough to to make the leap and actually participate in, in trying to prevent those attacks and save lives. You just wrote this book and uh, it's called Life Undercover. Tell us what it's about. Well, it's really a personal coming of age story, but I happen to come of age not only against the backdrop of the war on terror, but while undercover working counterterrorism for CIA overseas um, and got married and had my daughter while I was doing that work. And so you know, in some ways, it's uh, it's a story of figuring out 
who I was and what my work was in the world in the way that every 20-something-year-old does. Um, and and then at a, at a kind of more macro level, it's the story of the war on terror through the eyes of the 20-somethings who were, who were fighting it at the agency. And I think sometimes we forget how young the intelligence and military officers who are tasked with this work are, especially in the intelligence world, the longer that you're out working, the more your cover gets eroded. So the the kind of counterintuitive thing. Do you mind explaining that? Sure. So, you know, I remember a teacher saying to me during training, you can do an entire career sitting in your closet overseas and not do any work and your cover will be pristine. Nobody will suspect that you work at CIA or that you're involved in, in the intelligence world, but you also won't have done anything useful. You know, so every time you embark on an operation, you develop a source, you do something to try to predict or prevent an act of war, an act of terrorism. The the chance of the people around you getting some sense of what you do increases so that eventually after several tours, most people end up either being declared to the country that they're working in or coming back and working at headquarters, taking on a management role. So it's really the first tour officers, the youngest people whose cover is pristine because Mm -hmm. they haven't been out working that are often tasked with um, work that that requires that that level of secrecy. And so this is this is the story of um, the development in many ways of my sort of perspective on the war on terror. I did not start out with a view to peacemaking or finding common ground. I'd, I'd lost a friend to terrorism in third grade. Um, uh, my writing hero, Danny Pearl, was killed after 9-11. I had really um, been shaken by what was happening to the world and started out wanting to wipe the adversary off the playing mm-hmm. field. Um, and I just learned interaction after interaction over the course of almost a decade that that just doesn't work. I mean, it's not only not a very fulfilling way to live, but you risk creating more adversaries yeah. than you destroy. Yeah. yeah. And so, you know, the book is is that evolution, but in a very personal sense. I think a lot of people who read it feel like they've had many of the same experiences, just not working, just not at, the working at the agency. <laughs> well, we'd definitely like to talk a lot more about this. Uh, we'll talk about this book and uh, talk about your, your work and your background and that kind of thing. We'll do a little web extra breakout after uh, after we cover our stories this week. Um, yeah, but now let's cover a few cases with international elements that happened this week the in theme. the true crime let's dig world. In. A Wisconsin woman working as a prosecutor is shot dead on a South Pacific island in her driveway. Four flight attendants are held in Miami accused of smuggling cash into the country from Chile. But first, a man accused of killing a woman in New York is on trial in Nicaragua. Owen, what's going on with the Nicaragua case and uh, the Bingham, Bingham Student University, Haley Anderson? So we have, we cover murders uh, and domestic violence and things like that uh a lot here. Uh, this one's got uh, an, an, an international twist, as advertised. This is the case of Binghamton University student Haley Anderson. She was 22 years old, and she was murdered on March 8th of last year, 2018. She was strangled in the apartment of Orlando Tercero in Binghamton. Uh, the two were in an on-again, off-again romantic relationship. Uh, they were both students. They are both nursing students at Binghamton University. Um, they were on again, off again. She was visiting, but uh, prosecutors are saying that he was jealous that they weren't more permanent, and that she had been uh, she had reconnected with an ex boyfriend recently. So uh, they're surmising this is a crime of passion. Uh, except he got away. He prosecutors say he left uh, Anderson after strangling her to death. 
on his bed and he left the building uh, hours later. A security camera catches him doing that. At some point, he rep- he reportedly had tried to commit suicide. Uh, he had left a note apologizing to his family. Um, the Binghamton Press and Sun Bulletin says the attempt resulted in a head injury. It sounds like he, uh, from the evidence I read, that he tried to hang himself and it didn't go right. And he had also taken some sleeping pills. Um, but he was unsuccessful. The next day, he uh, he fled to Nicaragua. He flew uh, to Nicaragua, where he's originally from. He, re- he reportedly texted Haley Anderson's sister that he was sorry for everything on the 9th. Sister called 911. Yeah. Cops... Uh, arrived and found the found the scene. Yeah. So then, but here's where it gets tricky. So Nicaraguan police arrested him on the U.S. warrant on March 13, 2018, which is just five days after the murder. But the Nicaraguan government said, "We're not going to extradite him. You can't have him back." What happens there? What do you do? Well, I, I mean, I think one of the challenges with extradition to the U.S. are countries that have a problem with the death penalty or the potential for the death penalty. I don't know if that's the issue here because. Nicaragua doesn't strike me as one that would have that concern. So I'd be interested to know what the kind of background and the politics were. Because he's a dual national, right? He's a dual U.S. Mm -hmm. national. So it it would seem that extradition would make sense. It doesn't... it, it, that's usually the, the the rule, though. It's something about uh, the incarceration standards in the United States as well as mm-hmm. the death penalty. Or potentially um, there's some political quid pro quo. Sure, on, absolutely. You know, they might say, well, you got... You know, do this for us under yeah. the table, this or that. that. As much as I could uh, research on this, though, it's not immediately clear why they sent him back, which leads me to sort of agree that it's uh, that default may be about the, the death penalty itself. Maybe about the death penalty. There are there are on the quid, quid pro quo question times where it will be a proposed swap for somebody who's committed a crime there, who's yeah. an American citizen. And it may be that we had concerns in reverse mm-hmm. around the conditions that an American would face if they were tried. Overseas. There's always a, a lot of stuff going on under these, underneath the, uh, the the radar behind the scenes yes. when you're talking about international relations. So there's more to, more to come for that. But yeah. it sounds like here the question isn't whether he did it. If he's is he yeah. is, is, has like he pleaded guilty? Uh, he is. Let me. Uh, I'm getting it. Because if he's texting, I mean, he, he, well, he tried texted, to kill himself. Yeah, yeah. He left it's, her it's, tucked it's, into his bed, right, with the covers bedroom, pulled up. Texted the uh, the sister saying, "Sorry for everything." So yeah. So to, not to get I too far ahead of ourselves, he's being tried in Nicaragua. And this trial is also being live streamed in Broome County in New York, which is kind of weird and awkward. Uh, they requested witnesses um, to testify in New York. There's Spanish language interpreters going back and forth. They're cooperating. They just don't want to give him the, the body. Um, they're tra- they're charging him in Nicaragua with, with femicide, mm. which uh, I don't know if we make the distinction in the United States legal. I'm obviously not an attorney. I, I've never heard um, that before. But, uh, femicide, the murder of a woman, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, but... He's wanted here. I believe they want to charge him here for second degree murder. Yeah, a second degree murder charge in Broome County, New York. So that's outstanding. There's not necessarily a death penalty for that because that's heat of the moment type of thing. Um, no, and it sounds like there's some question about his his mental health in general, right? I think mm-hmm. there was an assessment of his mental the health. Uh, the defense uh, are expected no to bring less. up psychiatric evidence and call a psychiatrist who treated him as the, as the first witness. So they're starting right away with that. Mm-hmm. And prosecutors said that six months earlier, Anderson reported Tercero had uh, slashed the tires on her car, but she declined to press charges, which, which we see over and over again. Escalation. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So, I mean, at the very least, he's facing 
due process there, which, you know, there there are times where people who are dual nationals yes. or foreign nationals flee and then are protected by the government yeah. and don't really ever face And justice. it's not a jury trial. It's a judge trial. So mm-hmm. the judge is going to decide right. the verdict. And I think he's up for 30 years. Right. 30 years um, in prison. So. It's definitely unusual. I mean, I'm struck by the fact that they're actually doing this uh, coordination with, you know, they're doing a, li- uh, a live feed. We don't want to send you back, the guy, but if you have witnesses against him, we're willing to, you know, apparently this woman and her uh, her sister and several friends have got uh, a lot of backstory with this guy, they, with the tire slashing and all the rest. They're all where, they're basically testifying on his behavior and their interactions in the past. So uh, kudos to them for at least uh you know, bringing that part into the legal uh, situation here. But uh, I've never seen a case like this. I only look at the legal stuff in the States, though, so I'm not very well versed in this. But uh, we'll bring you more when we know more. Uh, It's an interesting legal case. Moving on to another international legal situation, we've got a a criminal prosecutor from Wisconsin was shot dead in her driveway on the uh, Western Pacific Island of Yap. Uh, on October 5th, and I will bring up a map uh, for our video viewers. I don't have that in front of me right now. It's a very remote place. It's in the Micronesian Islands. Uh, It's in the middle of the Pacific. Like I said, Uh, Yap is about 118 square miles large. It's uh, about a 13-hour flight east of the Philippines and about 16 hours west of Hawaii. It is in the the Pacific there. It's tropical paradise by all accounts, but uh, not for her. Rochelle Rochelle Bergeron, we shot dead in her driveway uh, she had re- she had gone out for her evening run with her dog and, and she got back about 7 15 she's getting out of her car she opened her hatchback and somebody drove up and fired three shots at her killing her and her dog unfortunately yeah. uh bergeron's husband was inside the house baking brownies with a child that they were taking care of uh the couple uh, had only been married about a year they reportedly wed on the island last year uh last october excuse me attended by about 250 yappies as they are known, according to the New York Times, and they were reportedly popular on the island. She was a Wisconsin native. She'd been planning to move back to the U.S. soon. She was uh, 33 years old. She'd been living on that island since 2015. She's currently serving as an acting attorney general of Yap State. She's previously a human rights lawyer in New York City and uh, had worked in Washington, D.C. and in India. Yeah, so friends, she was getting she was getting a lot of death threats. Yeah, friends were saying that she had been getting a lot of death threats because she was primarily leading the sex trafficking and domestic abuse investigations. And sex trafficking is apparently a, a big problem in the region. And the New York Post reported, uh, as the New York Post is wont to do, they go to this one. Bertrand had taken to sleeping with a machete under her pillow. Uh, you know, and taking a look at this crime, she's she obviously she had a pattern. She was she would go out for a run with her dog every day. Good point. Uh, it's a very good chance that somebody uh, who wanted her out of the way um, uh, just knew that pattern, just waited there, mm-hmm. knew she was gonna gonna come back with the dog, and then took care of. Business. That's a good point. And so this this place is uh, uh, it's it's its own entity, but it has a, a relationship with the United States. So I was trying to dig deeper into uh, her relationship. She's an assistant. She's a, uh, what did I call her? Uh, uh, acting attorney general uh, yeah, attorney of, general of the place, even yeah. though it's a, um, it's a, uh, they have their own sovereignty, uh, but they use the dollar and the English is uh, official language. You would think that I wouldn't say an acting an acting attorney general is not necessarily a diplomat, so they it's obviously different um, training as far as pattern. You know, 
if you want to break it down a little bit, obviously you know better than I do, but they, they have protocols, uh, diplomatic protocols and things like that. Yeah, well, I mean, even here at home, if you're working on anything that uh, is ruffling feathers in the wrong circles, you definitely don't want to be take steps. taking the same pattern of travel every day. Yeah. I mean, there, the situational awareness and varying your paths are really good precautions to take, especially... Um, in the case of working in this part of the world on human trafficking, because increasingly we're seeing human trafficking share nodes in networks with narcotics trafficking and with terror funding. Um, you know, these these illicit funds move through, if you imagine, kind of different colored spider webs that share nodes. And even with the legal business world, money moves through all of them quite freely. So and that, human trafficking is a big part of that. So if she had uncovered something that was going to disrupt that network, it, it is just as likely to fall foul of violence disrupting that as it is disrupting a cartel in Mexico. Mm-hmm. Is it a matter of does this happen where you've got terrorism, you've got drugs, you've got human trafficking, which mm-hmm. are three gigantic issues within within those? And it's horrible to say this within those modes of currency are those organizations trading with each other based Absolutely. on that. So they're trading. I've got this amount of people. Mm-hmm. You give me this amount of, of heroin. I'll give you unless throw in dr- and guns in there too. Mm-hmm. this amount of weapons and then this amount of because the weapons are going to go towards the terrorism. Absolutely. And not every node is on every network. Right. But it can find its way through. Northern Burma is a great example where, you know, you see meth and heroin being sold in exchange for cash and weapons to fund a civil war against the Burmese military that meth and heroin spreads out across the world and a lot of the human trafficking that that goes up across the border into China is exchanged for the Chinese attack helicopters and other military hardware that's used to prosecute that civil war in Burma and we see that all through Latin America, Africa, mm-hmm. Southeast Asia um, and South Asia and for human trafficking network to be on the brink of something um, and have a prosecutor potentially about to bring it down, there, there is a lot of cash Incentive on the line. There. Yeah. Yeah. My question is, uh, in it, I, I definitely want to bring this up on a, on a map uh, at some point here because this is really remote and doesn't seem like a way station. Um, so I'm wondering whether this is sort of like a source that this is where somebody who's a broker to use an unfortunate term or something along those lines, you go in there, you, you basically kidnap little kids from there, or is this a sort of a clandestine, uh, boat route or a plane route from the Philippines to the West coast or to South America? Do you have any uh, instinct? I mean, on that? It, it could well be either of those things. It, the, a lot of the human trafficking challenge is actually on the high seas. Mm-hmm. Um, we see uh, not only migrant crisis and refugee smuggling, but uh, sex trade and even workers who are forced to go out on fishing vessels for two years at a time. Actually, deep sea fishing has more humans enslaved than any other industry mm-hmm. in the world. Um, and because they're in international waters, it's very hard to police. And so a lot of the islands that um, are kind of remote way stations allow people who are operating in that lawless environment to stop over, yeah. stash their trade could be some and corruption. And then, and then you get yeah. somebody from, you know, a human rights attorney right. from New York City stink. come in there in 2015. It's going to take her a while to start building up cases, to start making enemies. Um, but she's she's starting now. She's got a system. She's 
maybe potentially costing a lot of people a lot of money. And then... Yeah, I, I wonder whether they didn't care or when didn't think this was going to be very high profile because it's a, such a remote spot and such a, you know, one individual. But, um, you know, it's very far away from the Philippines, but you, the, the maritime stuff that you bring up, I mean, I think it's called the Malacca Strait uh, through there. That's one mm-hmm. that's... It's number one and number two in piracy. Exactly. So the whole that whole yeah. archipelago and the whole entire region there is, you know, it looks great. I'd love to go surfing there. I'd love to, uh, you know, take a vacation. But uh, you hear, obviously, there's some things are working out still. Well, that's the case with many of these environments. I mean, the the islands of of the Philippines are incredibly beautiful, mm-hmm. but they they suffer hugely from both both separatist movements and. Right. Uh, Islamic extremist movements that in some cases have pledged by it to ISIS or to Mm Al-Qaeda. And they are another example of groups that use trade in illegal timber, illegal gems, illegal humans in order to to fund those fights. Yeah. Yeah, So according to the island's governor, they have several persons of interest and Hawaii News reports that they brought in a pathologist from Hawaii and the FBI is involved as well. A... It's a small island. They say, uh, you know, depending on who you were talking to on some of these articles, the friends and the family were saying, this is a safe island. Uh, You know, not not a lot of this stuff happens. Uh, 700 guns, I think, is what the estimate, a a nonprofit that tracks things like this. They estimated there's maybe 700 guns in the entire uh, Micronesian islands uh, that that this island is part of. So it's obviously not... Gangster's paradise kind of th- kind of a thing. And, and I guess the question is, is this somebody who sticks around and is a permanent resident right. or is this somebody who is is well, you know, using in, this as a waypoint? Yeah. And that's one of the things, too, is that she gets shot. How quickly is that reported? How many boats are coming out of that area? Did they did they did the gunman shoot? You know, which is what happens a lot. You know, gunman shoots there, gets on a boat. Yeah. You know, and is yeah. off. So it's going to it potentially could be a tough one. But, yeah, uh, condolences to the family. That's a, it's tragic. But yeah. uh, when we got the FBI on the case, hopefully that will uh, uh, help the situation there. So in Miami this week, uh, four American Airlines flight attendants were busted allegedly smuggling cash. On Monday, a Customs and Border Patrol agent stopped Carlos Munez Moyano, a flight attendant who had just gotten off a plane from Santiago, Chile, and asked him how much money he had during a routine check. And he said $100. As and then they started searching him, and then he said, no, $9,000. Uh, my mistake. When I'm at the casino, it's the opposite. <laughs> mm. Other agents were alerted, who then stopped three other uh, flight attendants from the same plane. So where there's smoke, there's fire. And it was uh, Maria Roman Strick had 7300 on her person. Maria Wilson Osandan had uh, about 6300 on her person according to CNN. Those three suspects then named, completely turned around and named Maria Paston Kuzmar. It's unclear if she was carrying cash, but the Miami Herald says uh, they named her as a person who, quote, directed them to transport U.S. currency into the United States and deliver it to a known person. All four flight attendants live in Santiago, Chile. She's the ringleader. She's the ringleader. She's the one that put us us up to it. Maybe uh, whether that's true or not, or whether it's just like, I really hate, you know, I hate when she's the crew chief. Yeah, Uh, We'll find out. And we think this is legitimate U.S. currency. That's what they said. I haven't seen anything no. to the contrary. I've, no. I've looked at, uh, you know, basically Miami Herald and CNN are, are the main reporters on this. It seems it seems American dollars. Um, Bill, as you were saying, the, the total cash seized was about $22,671. $22, excuse me, $22,671. 
And the Miami Herald reports that the arrest documents say these people said that they were going to receive 1% of what they were carrying. That uh. was their, their carrying fee. Um, so that would have been $90 for the dude, $73 for another one, then $63 and change for the for the third person. Of course, they could be lying. It could be, It's just know, funny because there's so many or, easier or ways to launder money or to transfer money. You know, there are Havala networks all over the world where you can walk into a convenience store sure. anywhere. You know, you put your 22000 down and he picks up a phone and his uncle's brother's friend, you know, on the other side of what, whatever border will pay it out to whoever walks in. And it's totally untraceable and nobody has to cross a border with cash. And that's one of the real challenges in investigating terror cases is not being able to follow the money in that way. And this is the opposite direction from what you might think if it involved narcotics, right, where you, you might expect them to be originating in Latin America where they're a lot cheaper and sold in the United States where they can fetch more money and then the money to be returned. Money's going the different way, like yeah. in um, Jackie Brown. Well, I was going to say Jackie Brown, it brings to mind, um, you know, oldie but a goodie in terms of crime as well as a film there. But um, what is Chile on the radar for in the sort of international um, underworld, if you will? Well, it's a relatively stable. Con- I mean, I should it say is. relatively. It's a stable country. It is, but there there are parts of the border region there that are associated with fugitive travel, with terror groups. Less so now, but um, in in the time immediately after nine eleven, mm-hmm. it was sort of one of the centers of Islamic extremist kind of go here while you're hot and and uh, take some time. Hide in the, uh, Chile's not jungle-ish, but uh, I guess in the northeastern area there when you're approaching Bolivia and places like that, that you can hide in the mountains, basically. It's ju- it, it became a, a community that could kind of fly under the radar. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, in terms of its uh, money laundering, you know, I, I think that its involvement is it does it doesn't raise raise any particular flags for me but I'm just surprised that any sort of professional outfit would think that going through US airports was was kind of the easiest way to do this of course we see it with drug mules but the problem with with actual narcotics, it's is that it's a physical item that mm-hmm. one way or the other you do have to actually carry across borders and mm-hmm. yeah. a submarine or a tunnel or somebody's belly, but cash isn't like that. It's fungible, right? You know? Exactly. Um, I'm wondering too if it's just. Oh, I mean, this is Miami. We've got certain um, stereotypes about Miami. If you've got, if you're running one of these networks and it's still sort of the holdover of '80s, and you've got a hundred flight attendants all bringing in multiples of thousands and whatever that adds up. Um, but like you say, I mean, it is 2019 for Christ's sake. I mean, yeah. it's the technology alone. Well, it'll be an interesting one to see. Yeah. Watch the uh, space. Yeah. Don't, uh, it's not worth it, especially not 1%. Well, you know what, Owen? We get comments. We do get comments. And uh, we have the largest true crime Facebook page in the world. I, I, I've read And that, the yes. largest true crime YouTube page in the world. Also. Well, crowdsourced detective work. Yeah, well, Six million yes. people will give so, you a lot of crowd. Yeah. It's quite yes. crowd. Um, so um, uh, the first one. Comes out of Georgia. It's Halloween time. Three sex offenders in a Georgia county are suing the sheriff over signs warning families not to trick or treat at the offenders' homes. Not the hill to die on. So last year they yes this uh, and this seems to me not controversial whatsoever. I think other counties across the country do this, but this one in particular, the sheriff made a big display of saying mm-hmm. like we're going to do this. You have to stay inside. Don't go to here. And this was exactly a year ago. This was uh, last Halloween when this happened. So yeah. now. Bill, what are they doing? Irie L. said, why are they suing? They are registered sex offenders. I think it's a brilliant idea. 
Uh, Dea T said they decided to do what they did, keep the signs up and keep the kids safe. And KDC said this is a great idea, should be a sign in their yards all year long. Now, Owen, I don't think I saw any pro. Uh, uh, hey, they serve their time. They should be able to have kids uh, come to you know, yeah. I didn't, didn't, I, You're not going to find uh, that yeah. anywhere. I yeah, don't that's think. a no, tough stance, stance to take. On yeah. 8chan or 4chan or something like that, maybe. But, but uh, uh, you know, they were. this is an, an issue particularly, and, you know, there was a story in the news this week about a woman who was playing Pokemon Go and got murdered, which right. was the second, that's the second time that's happened. Somebody in San Francisco had happened before, too, remember? Mm-hmm. Um, right near me in my house in Phoenix, that you know, they have Pokemon Go, and I played it right in the beginning, of course, because I got Everybody it. Did. And uh, they have like these little places where you can go and collect the monsters, mm-hmm. and you got to catch them all. I don't know if you know that or not about Pokemon, but you've uh, there was one, and it was because this guy had this um, this weird kind of sculpture in his, in the front of his house, and I knew this just because I checked out my neighborhood. That that was a sex offender's house. So you had the these kids going near a sex offender's house. They didn't know that because right. they were just collecting all that data from from crowdsourcing, and just somebody took a picture of it and said, "Oh, that looks cool," and then let's put one of these mm-hmm. one of these things right there. So it's not just Halloween. No, and, and it's a perennial thing as far as uh, you know, uh, as many of our commenters will 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 comment in that you know it's unclear whether people can be rehabilitated from this type of thing and and you know this is definitely one of the most uh the scarlet letter the the, the worst things you can be accused of doing in the in in american and yeah. anywhere really uh so yeah not going to find a lot of sympathy um it, it, somebody may have a good point here why won't you have that on your house all year round. Well, and in apps. I mean, it, the there is an app, right, that you can look at your neighborhood and see yeah. where it's these like registered addresses are. Mm-hmm. I assume that that database has an API that coders it, and developers can use. It should. And I, as to, soon as I did, that was, it was like a week after it came out, and I sent an email to the, I, I sent out probably a tweet, I think, to the to the uh, developers and said, hey, this ain't cool. I don't know if they fixed it or not, mm-hmm. but... Yeah, so uh, mm-hmm. maybe it's a gentle reminder, too, as a Halloween trick-or-treating season comes up, uh, check your yes. local registries. Uh, don't have to be paranoid of your neighbors, but uh, better safe than sorry. Yes. Well, uh, I'm going to go to Alabama now. Police say an Alabama woman told a story about trying to shoot a rabid raccoon to cover up a fight that left her and her boyfriend with gunshot wounds. Mary W. said, is this a script for a cartoon? Hmm. Mm-hmm. We work at Warner Brothers. We are we are very familiar with cartoons. Rabbit I never remember this particular. Was, uh, was it was a pass uh, the last time mm-hmm. I tried to pitch that yes. cartoon? But uh, Lorena D said, "Never ever give them raccoons a gun, especially when they may be rapid." Mm-hmm. Especially then. <laughs> and William P just wrote Alabama. I bet William P is from Florida. I and he was, just was you like, know, you with know apologies what? to Alabama as well as Florida. Yeah. We had we had discussed this uh, earlier. Um, uh, uh, we love all the states. We and do. Alabama's definitely up there with some of the more interesting crimes we've covered in this particular podcast over this year. So uh, don't stop. Keep doing what don't, you're doing. Don't stop. We, we, we genuinely love you. Keeping it uh, in the South, police in Tennessee arrested a man named Tupac A. Shakur after they say he pulled a knife on them and was found with meth. Stephanie G. said this Tupac looks like he'd been drinking a 12-pack. And Not a two-pack. A 12-pack. I guess it's a wordplay there. I got it. That. I got it yeah. there. Uh, Gabriel F. said, a bootleg Tupac Shakur. Where do they find this guy? What's next? A Dollar Tree Biggie Smalls. Could happen. And Dina F. said, y'all said Tupac was still alive. 
Well, we were discussing that earlier. Um, it'd be a hell of a no. It's not. Be a hell of a, 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 a hell of a trick. It's just we we had this and we had the guy uh, last week talking about McLovin. Remember, we had McLovin. I, indeed, uh, I couldn't track down the information on this. It seems to be this is the guy's real name. He didn't change it. I don't know how he's forty years old. I don't know how 40 years ago your mom or your dad would have said Tupac A. Shakur. Yeah, it's the same name as it is the same. So I'm not particularly buying that. But, uh, you know, it's, it, maybe it's his, who knows. But they booked him. I, I looked at the police report. His booked on Tupac, Tupac A. Shakur, which is uh, the exact same initials right. as, uh, as our. Well, it's, yeah, I mean, either way, he should be capitalizing on that rather than. Yeah. I, rather than 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 yes. Maybe he's a local, maybe yeah. he's a local hero around yeah. there. Anyway, yes. if anybody doesn't know who we're talking about, Tupac Shakur is uh, probably one of the greatest rappers who ever lived um, and is not with us anymore. He yes. was shot dead he? in if the you, 90s. If you're on YouTube, just go uh, Google him. Or is he? Indeed, he could be uh, hanging out in the Yap Islands. Well, thank you, Emeryllis Fox, for being our guest this week. Thanks for inviting me. Where can viewers and listeners find out more about what you're working on? Well, uh, I have a book out uh, at the moment, uh, Life Undercover, Coming of Age in the CIA. Uh, your local bookstore. Yes, or always the local bookstore. Amazon. Yes, failing. Uh, use, you, you go to every local bookstore and then go to the library. While playing Pokemon Go, then go then to the library. <laughs> Stay busy, folks. Then, uh, last resort, Amazon. Um, no, we love Amazon. And beyond that, uh, check out Team Rubicon and a few other of... Uh, the organizations that I've been volunteering with um, on Instagram and AmaryllisFox.com. Team Rubicon is great. I'm, I'm very impressed with the, the whole organization. I'm Team Rubicon is fantastic, and whether or not you're a veteran, you can do amazing work with them. I highly, highly recommend checking right. out a deployment. It's one of the most rewarding things you can do. Excellent. Excellent. All right. And of course, we'll have those details in the descriptions of the podcast and the video. And that's our show for this week. You can find our content on Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play, and on YouTube. And get updates and subscribe to our newsletter at truecrimedaily.com. Until next week, this is True Crime Daily, the podcast reminding you don't do crimes. 